Hey guys, before we get into the episode, I want to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Maine Drinking Club. Maine Drinking Club is a locally owned company that creates incredible party apparel for Maine, posts hilarious clips sent in by fans, and just embodies what some of our residents are like when having some fun. Their content thus far on what's coming up puts them at the top of what any page similar in the state posts and will quickly expand globally. I'm telling you guys to check them out now. They have new amazing merch that ranges from hoodies, long sleeves, t-shirts, hats, and anything you can think of wearing to a party and out and about to show off to all your friends and your family. They've been kind enough to give me the discount code MAINBBALL, that's M-A-I-N-E-B-B-A-L-L, for you guys that takes 10% off your first purchase. You can find their website by going to their Instagram page, at Club or going to teespring.com backslash stores backslash main hyphen drinking hyphen club. I know that may sound a little confusing, but trust me, it's worth the type. You guys need to jump on this train while they're primed to explode and go buy some merch and follow their page. Again, huge shout out to my boys at Main Drinking Club for sponsoring this episode. Enjoy. You're listening to the Mainly Basketball Podcast. Curry, point out to Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the lead! Oh, blocked by James! Five seconds, Bryant for the win! It's Curry, he got the shot off! Go ahead! Go ahead! And the Blazers win the series for the first time in 14 years! Defended by Simmons, is this the tiger? Goal! Game What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 49 of the Mainly Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Carter Bruce, back again with more NBA talk. Just a quick announcement before we get into the topics. Uh, this is being recorded the day it's, it's coming out. Uh, these topics... On the other hand, and the other recordings were done about a week a week ago, just generally around the All-Star break uh, when there was the halfway point in the NBA season. So these last few games that have occurred since then haven't been uh, involved in this, in this episode. Uh, they will be in Saturday's episode, but like I said, from this point on, every Wednesday and Saturday there will be an episode. Unless something, you know, something big happens in my, you know, important in my life. But like I told you guys, no matter, no matter what, I'm going to start to be more consistent for you, for all of you to push out more content, the content you guys love to see and just getting back into the groove of things, uh, quickly getting a break from, you know, school work, uh, lowering everything. But I'm super, super excited to get back into the podcasting. Uh, you guys seem to like the last episode, so I'm sure you'll love this episode. So let's get into it. All right, guys. So we're coming up to the all. We're in the All Star game. The All Star game is actually today, tonight, as we speak, as I'm recording this, and it's halfway through the season. So what better way to start off the podcast than half season awards? We're gonna go MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, and Most Improved Player of the Year thus far. And I think. You know, these are a couple of these are up for debate. You can say they're up for debate because there a lot of these are so tight knit, they're so close with how many people are do have you know teams are having such fantastic years. I I predicted that this season was going to be one of the better seasons we've seen in a long time, and I think that's lived up to that potential halfway through. So let's start off with the MVP. 
a guy that was my, you know, MVP thus far earlier in the season, Joel Embiid. 22-7 and when he plays, with his team having a 24-12 and record. So they're 2-5 and when he's not playing. They're first in the Eastern Conference, with him averaging 29.8 points per game, 11.3 rebounds per game, 3.3 assists, shooting 52% from the field, 42% from the three-point line, and 86% from the free-throw line. So we have a center, while averaging 30 points, almost in the 50-40-90 club, something that is unheard of. He's competing with guys like Jokic, LeBron, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, uh, a lot of dudes, Damian Lillard, who I think should be in the MVP conversation, guys that are having tremendous seasons. And I just think he's on top solely because of what he's doing on a night-to-night basis, who he's doing it against, what we saw him do to Rudy Gobert, absolutely torch that dude who everyone said he's afraid to go up against because he's such, you know, Rudy Gobert is always in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year. For him to go out and make that statement, uh, it was nothing short of spectacular. I think he just, at this point, he has a slight edge over LeBron. I would go Jokic, LeBron, James Harden. That would be my top three as of right now. Joel Embiid having that slight edge just because to see a, a, a center averaging 30 points a game, shooting 52% from the field while also shooting 42% from the three-point line is some of the most efficient work we've ever seen in NBA history. And it's he's doing it against you know the, the league's worst and the league's best. It's not like he's going out there and putting up mediocre performances against some of the best teams in the NBA and then just absolutely torching the bottom of the barrel teams. He's going out there and destroying everybody and anybody that's in his path. And he doesn't give a shit who it is, when it is, and he's going to continue doing it. I think you can either have Embiid or LeBron at this position, at, you know, as your MVP. But besides those two, I don't think anybody is. Uh, I wouldn't say pushing for that for that MVP award, but I would say that these two, you know, Joel and LeBron are the only two right now that I can see and that I can agree on that would be MVP thus far. Moving on to Coach of the Year, I'm going to go Quinn Schneider. I think that's an obvious pick. They're 27 and 8, first in the West, they're first in the league. Uh, they're third in points per game, third in opponents' points per game, second offensive rating, third in defensive rating. Uh, they're just absolutely going out there. He his coaching methods similar what I think to Greg Popovich is there. They slow down the game, which you don't see a lot of NBA teams do, but they're scoring the ball at a high level. The, they're, they're defending very well. They have a defensive mindset while they're also the third highest scoring team in the league. They slow down their opponents. They wear them out. They make them make silly mistakes on the offensive end because the, their their opponent tries to rush things on them offensively because the the Jazz are so high-strung on the offensive end, so high-scoring, that the other team thinks, okay, we have to make it up quickly because we know how good of a defensive team they are, that if we let them get too far ahead, then there's no chance of us coming back because they can simply get a 10-point lead and hold that for an entire game. That's where the, you know, the whole... The bad passes come in, the cross-court passes that shouldn't be made, the additional pass that shouldn't be made. Uh, just a lot of different things that come in, uh, you know, that occur that, you know, they gener- the te- other teams generally wouldn't do. We generally would not see teams making these subtle mistakes if they weren't going up against a team that is the Utah Jazz. Uh, and they're so efficient in everything they do. Uh, they move the ball so fluently. They're just their help defense, their 
the way they're able to throw teams off their game plan is what really, really is impressive to me. And seeing Quinn Schneider, he's obviously the guy that's, con- you know, he's the guy that's drawing the plays on the, on the whiteboard. He's the guy that's controlling the, them and practices, their movements, everything they're doing, yelling out what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. So he's the mastermind right now behind what is uh, an amazing Utah Jazz team right now. Defensive player of the year, I'm going to go Ben Simmons. A lot of people don't understand how good a defensive player Ben Simmons is because, you know, him being 6'10", lengthy, quick, he's able to guard people inside and outside. He is a guy where you can't try and use everything. In your, you have to be careful with every dribble, with every pass, because if you're not careful, he's there. He's going to steal the ball. He's going to take it away from you. He's going to make you pay on the other end. Uh, and he's just such a lockdown defender. He's a guy that can guard Damian Lillard, he can guard LeBron, he can guard Jokic. I'm not saying he's going to shut all these guys down, but he makes it more difficult for all three of you know a, a guard, a forward, and a center to score the basketball whenever they want. That he makes people rethink what they're going to do. He gets when he's not stealing the ball. He makes it awkward when that player catches it, so they're not in that position to either get ready to shoot the ball or ready to swing the ball another time. He is just making everybody, on the, when he's on the floor, he makes everybody rethink what they're going to do. He makes them rethink their game plan. And for him to be able to uh, include his quickness, his lengthiness, and you know, every single time down the floor, he's ready to go. He's ready to guard somebody. He's ready to guard the best player, ready to steal the ball. It's nothing short of spectacular what Ben Simmons has done year in and year out since he's gotten the league. Everyone thought of him as this you know, offensive mastermind with getting to the basket whenever he wanted, rebounding, uh, passing the ball because he's still one of the best passers in the NBA, but his defensive ability has just increased as years have gone gone on. And it doesn't even seem like he's hit his ceiling yet because he's still a young guy. He's still, you know, no matter if he's been in the league four years, he's still a guy that's super, super young and has a lot to learn because, you know, you can – you can be this good four years in at 23 years old, 24 years old, but once you reach that apex 27-28, that's when, you know, you feel like a veteran. You feel like someone that's been through it all in the league. And that, you know, sometimes that's not even true. You can learn more and more and more. So as he continues to grow as a player, I think that, I think Ben Simmons uh, is in the running for possibly this defensive player of the year. And he could win a couple more. Uh, rookie of the year, I think, is just, I think it's silly for anyone to say anybody other than LaMelo Ball. And I've made sure to rub it in people's faces who have said that LaMelo Ball was going to be a bust thus far. Because LaMelo right now, he's averaging 15.7 points per game, 6 assists, 6, point, six rebounds, 6 assists, 44.6% point, uh, percent from, the field, uh, from the field, 36.7% from the three-point line, and 81% from the free-throw line. Now, he's been a star- since he's been a starter... He's averaging 20 points, 6.7 rebounds, 6.6 assists, shooting 43% from the three-point line. He's leading rookies in points, rebounds, assists, steals, total, and, and in totals in all, ca- all statistical categories, uh, being the only rookie in 60 years to do so. Lamelo, obviously, I thought sh- you know, I thought he should have been in the starting lineup a lot earlier, but it shows that the Hornets really paced him very, very well. They understood, okay, well, he has to learn this and th- this aspect of the game, this aspect from the, of the game before we can kind of trust him to come in and be a floor general that we know he can be. And it just looks like what have other people said about his game is he looks like he's in his own world. He's just, he's, he's special. He's a guy not to be messed with. 
He's showing that he can pickpocket on defense. He's so creative with his passes, so creative with his scoring. His shooting is getting there. He's really getting comfortable on the floor with everything he's doing. He's loving being on the floor every minute. He's just happy to be there. He's a guy that's unselfish, doesn't care if he scores the ball as long as his team gets the win. He's a rookie that's really learned a lot faster than a lot of other rookies have. You know, even as quickly as he has learned, we have rarely see rookies do do the things he's doing this quickly. Uh, it, it's just incredible to me on his from a shooting standpoint, seeing a guy like him shooting 43% from the three-point line when everybody thought that he was going to be this atrocious shooter like his brother was when he first got in the league. But he's slowly, quickly uh, proving people wrong. I don't know why I said slowly and quickly, like complete fucking opposite, opposite side of the spectrum there. But uh, he's just amazing he's an amazing talent he's an amazing player to watch uh you know night in and night out he's a him and miles bridges him and miles bridges airbnb is an incredible show to watch and i'm super super excited to see how his numbers increase uh where he leads the charlotte hornets he seems like he's having a great time with his teammates and he's showing that he should have been a number one pick no matter what no matter you know where he landed what teams wanted someone for no, no matter the situation Lamelo ball should have been that first pick but I'm glad he landed on the Hornets. Sixth man of the year, I'm going to go Jordan Clarkson. He's averaging 18.2 points per game, four rebounds, two assists, shooting 45% from the field, 37 from the three-point line, and 96.6% from the free-throw line, only in 26 minutes per game. Uh, for so, He's the second-leading scorer on his team. At the minutes, he's averaging, I believe he's the highest-scoring uh, individual at 26 or less minutes per game. Uh, he's the one of the top free throw shoot uh, you know shooters in the entire league. Uh, and Jordan Clarkson really is the definition of that uh, energizer coming off the bench. He's a, a guy. He's a, your sixth man who can come off and get 40 because of how efficient he is at scoring the basketball and the you know the different aspects of the game he can score at. He can shoot the three. He can attack the basket. He can create his own shot from mid range. Uh, can shoot off the dribble. Can shoot off the catch. And he's just nothing short of spectacular getting in and helping. He's a big reason why this Jazz team is doing as well as they are. He's getting in there uh, when they're down. He's getting them back into the game. When they're tied, he's put, giving them a lead. When they have a lead, he's helping them increase that lead. Uh, he's very fluent in playing with the second unit, fluent playing with the first, uh, you know, some guys in the first unit. He's a guy you want in there closing the game at all times. Uh, just an overall an amazing talent thus far and has, has you know, shown that He's happy at that six-man, at, at the position he's at right now, that six-man position. He's comfortable with it. He's continuing to elevate his game at the six-man position. I don't see him coming out of it, you know, unless a big injury happens. Maybe he jumps into the starting lineup. But I'd love to see what Jordan Clarkson is doing this year. I believe at this point he is, I'm not going to say unanimous six-man, but I think he's like a the obvious choice at the six-man position. And uh, shout-out to uh, Scout, with, uh, Scout with Brian because he predicted this before the season even started. So, you know, if you're scouting the NBA for years, obviously you notice things that not a lot of people are going to think because while I thought he could have been in the run, he could have been in the, you know, possibly in the running, he wasn't the first person I thought of before the season started. Lastly, I'm going to go uh, most improved player, uh, Jeremy Grant. I would have gone with Christian Wood if Christian Wood had been playing a lot more games than he has, but... Jeremy Grant last season, 
on the Nuggets, averaged 12 points, 3.5 rebounds, uh, 1 assist, shot 48% from the field, 39% from 3, 75 from the free throw line, and shot 8.9 field goal attempts a game. This year he's averaging 23.4 points, 5.3 rebounds, 3 assists, shooting 43% from the floor, 36% from the 3-point line, 89% from the free throw line, and shooting 17.8 field goal attempts. Now a lot of people are going to think, well, his field goal percentage, his 3-point percentage is down. Well, you have to think about when someone's shooting double of what they did last year, they're adjusting to that period, so the field goal percentages... The three-point percentages are going to take time to catch up to what he's used to doing, you know, what he's used to shooting. Because when you're coming in, scoring double of what you normally are, shooting double of what you normally are, you kind of have to get into that rhythm. He's not used to this uh, number one type, you know, play style to where he's this guy that's comfortable shooting all of these shots. And, you know, and the percentages he's shooting, they're not even that they're not that bad. Obviously, if he had the 23.4%, then 23.4 points per game with the numbers he had last year at the field in the three-point line, we'd be looking at him like a completely different, you know, we I'd be super, super surprised that he'd be shooting that well, given that how many shots he's shooting. But it's completely normal for a guy who's elevating his game to taking it to a different level, shooting a lot more than he's used to, to have drops in the, you know, in the percentages. The free throw line, which I understand, you know, with, you know, getting up extra shots helps your touch out a lot at the free throw line. So if you look back, generally you will see a dip in field goal and three-point percentages, but an increase in free throw uh, percentage because they're in that kind of, you're improving on your touch because you're shooting so many times. And it takes a lot longer for these pull-up jumpers, put you know, off-the-dribble threes, uh fadeaways and these other shots that he's doing at the mid-range level of the three-point line than it is at the standstill shot at the free at, you know at the free throw line but I think he's the consensus most improved player of the year you can throw a couple other guys in there I don't know who else really you know you can obviously you can throw names at any any of these you know award predictions but I think Jeremy Grant closes it right there and I don't know if you can really argue against many of my picks and a lot of people are gonna say well those are you know, easy picks to make. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of people will say LeBron at MVP. A lot of people say James Harden at MVP. I'm sure a lot of people will say, uh, you know, oh, Rudy Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year. I'm sure other fans will say James Wiseman, a Rookie of the Year. I don't know how. You know, I'm just making throwing shit out there at this point. A lot of people can say uh, uh, Steve Nash, Coach of the Year. Uh, a lot of people could say uh, whoever. You could throw whoever in the area, Frank Vogel, whoever. You can really throw, uh, you know, we see names thrown out, thrown out of, <laughs> we see names thrown out a lot, a lot of different names when it comes to these award predictions, but those are my picks. Let me know how you feel about them. Now let's move into the All-Star break recap. A lot of you know, great things happened. A lot of not so great things happened, in my opinion. Uh, but let's start off with the first event, the three-point contest. We saw guys: Steph Curry, Mike Conley, Jason Tatum, Zach Levine, Donovan Mitchell, and Jalen Brown. These were all guys that were entered into the three-point contest. Now, if you don't know about the three-point contest, you get five spots. Five, you know, you get five shots at each one. Uh, the first four racks, you get one money ball. 
the other the last rack or whichever position you put the you put the this rack contains all five money balls, which are all worth two points. The first round we saw uh, Steph Curry with the highest score of thirty one. Just leave it to Steph Curry just to go off like that. Uh, Mike Conley with twenty eight. Definitely the biggest surprise of the three-point contest, in my opinion. Jason Tatum at 25, Levine at 22, Mitchell at 22, and Jalen Brown at 17, which was no surprise to me to see Jalen Brown, even though he's shooting great this year to be at the bottom of this, you know, three-point contest. So the top three guys move on would have been Curry, Mike Conley, Jason Tatum. So we saw Jason Tatum go first, shoot a 17. Mike Conley went up and backed up his 28 with a 27. Steph Curry, typical fashion, going last. It's coming down to the wire. It's coming down to the last rack. You know, we have to. He has to make his last shot. He's tied. I, no, I believe he was down one. I'm trying. I can't. You know, I. I'm just trying to remember. But he needed to make the last shot to win. And if you're everybody but Max Kellerman. You know, everyone wants Steph Curry with that last shot. I'm sure, you know, Max Kellerman was watching it and thinking, oh, if only Iguodala was taking the shot because he would make it over Steph Curry. The death beam, you know, the Martians with the death beam pointed at it in this three-point contest. If this person misses, I want Iguodala. Sorry, Max, but it was Steph Curry, and he made the shot per usual. Uh, Steph became the seventh person to win the three-point challenge multiple times, joining guys like Larry Bird, uh, Oh, Jesus. Hornacek. I'm forgetting other guys. But, <clears throat> excuse me. But Steph Curry, it was a Larry Bird moment to me. Because everyone remembers when Larry Bird put, you know, it went into the locker room, said, who's finishing second? Put up his last shot to win. Held the finger up, walked away, and made it and won the three-point contest. Uh, to me, it was kind of that same feeling when Steph Curry made it. When he put up that last shot, I was watching it. I knew he's not missing this. There's no way he's missing this because he's just that damn good at shooting threes. Uh, you know, the biggest surprise was Mike Conley putting up 28-27. I definitely wasn't expecting that. Uh, I would have liked to see other, you know, other guys in the three-point contest. Obviously, if Clay was healthy, I think Clay would have been in there. Uh, I would have loved to see guys like Damian Lillard in there, Devin Booker in there. Obviously, Devin Booker was injured. Uh, but those kind of guys, I would love to just see Dame and Steph go off in like a deep, deep three-point shooting contest to see who's the king of the, the deep-ass three-pointers. But I was definitely not surprised to see Steph just the season he's having this year. He seems to just be feeling a shot. Uh, he, you know, he's always been he's the best three-point shooter on the planet, best shooter on the planet, so... It was really no surprise to me to watch it, but it's definitely a, a great three-point contest. One of the better ones I've seen in a little while. Uh, the skills challenge. Uh, we saw Sabonis beat Randall in the first round. Uh, Vucevic defeat uh, Robert Covington. Uh, the second round, Sabonis defeated Luka. Vucevic defeated CP3, which uh, left CP3 with uh, another loss. He's 0-5 or 0-4 or 0-5 now in the skills challenge, which is surprising to me as seeing as a lot of people consider him one of the most skilled point guards of all time, which I do, obviously. I'm not saying that him losing a, not winning a skills challenge doesn't says he's not. He is, but it's surprising to me to see that Chris Paul has never won this. 
uh, and that big guys continue to win. Uh, the the final was Sabonis defeating Vucevic. He, you know, Vucevic got the early lead. Uh, Sabonis came back and nailed the three to beat him. And it just seems I don't know if this is what this is showing. If it's the, you know, the foreign guys, obviously they're more kind of skill based than we are in the United States. You know, you'll hear that from a lot of different players. But it's it's incredible to me to see these centers, these power forwards beating out uh, point guards, guards that we're normally used to seeing being called the the finesse guys, the finesse players. But uh, these big men are just showing, hey, we got the skills too. We got we can shoot it, we can dribble it, we can pass it, we can do these bounce passes, we can do these chest passes right through the you know little circles with the nets. You know we can do it all too. We can make threes just as good as these point guards, just as good as these shooting guards and these forwards. So. Um, I like the skills challenge. I always think it's interesting to watch the the people who compete and the you know who they're going against one another. It's great to me to see these guys really uh, battle battle it out in a full skills challenge competition. Uh, next, the dunk contest at at halftime uh, wasn't for me. Uh, Cassius Stanley, Obi Toppin, and uh, Anthony Simmons, uh, Simons, sorry. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't entertaining to me. Uh, just because I'm. I always want to see the best dunkers in there. I always want to see you know Zion, Aaron Gordon, uh, Derek Jones Jr., Zach Levine. I would love to see those four guys. But uh, I think Cassius Stanley had the best dunk. His fir- his first dunk was the best. You know, going between the leg, under the leg of the leg he jumped off of, on his first attempt. Um, I'm just not a big fan of seeing it. You know. People miss a dunk multiple times and still get an, a 9 or a t- even a 10. But I thought the dunk contest was one of the worst we've seen in a while. You know, the dunk contest is, is you know, hasn't been too, too great as of lately. You know, the best one we saw lately was, you know, the, sh- the showdown between Levine and Gordon. Uh, the one between Gordon and Jones Jr. wasn't as entertaining. But, uh dunk contest definitely wasn't for me and definitely wasn't for uh in my opinion uh wasn't a halftime thing but uh to see you know Cassius had a 44 and then he got a 37 in the first round which topped him off at 81 his second round you know his second dunk just kind of screwed him over and I thought he should have had a lot higher of a score than 44 in his first one uh Obi Toppin had 48 and a 46 giving him a 94 uh Anthony Simons 46 and 49 go to 95 and then the second round consisted of a dunk, and then the judges vote on it, and Simon's got a 3-2 to two, uh, judge vote in the final dunk. And he also became the first Blazer to ever win. So, uh, it was definitely not something I want to see again, especially with guys who don't really play. So, the NBA's definitely got to change that format next year. But the All-Star game... Uh, Definitely didn't live up to what I thought it would be after last year's. Uh, team LeBron wiped the floor with Team Durant. Uh, you know, it, it sucked to see, you know, two of their best players, Durant and Embiid, not even playing. So, to eh, this, this All-Star game didn't really do much for me. Uh, seeing Giannis win, I didn't. I thought Curry or Dame would have won it, won the MVP. I know, you know, he went 16, uh, you know, 12 for 12, 13 for 13, whatever he went. But... 
Uh, to me, seeing a guy, you know, bank it a couple threes and then just dunk, dunk, layup, dunk, alley-oop, layup, layup, dunk, dunk, layup is not really that impressive to me or does much for me when it comes to an all-star game. The way Curry and Dame were hitting these threes, Dame solidified the the, the game with, with that three-pointer. So for me... I thought the All-Star game could have been a lot better. I think it would have been a lot more competitive if Durant and Embiid would have been in it. Uh, but overall, it's the All-Star game. It kind of gave me that old, all, you know, gave me the, all, the, the previous All-Star games feelings where it's just, okay, do whatever you want. Don't play defense where we saw last year it was teams were actually defending one another, were trying their asses off to prevent it. But maybe Team LeBron getting that early lead just thought, ah, this this isn't really that serious anymore. Let's just blow the doors off these guys let's just do whatever you know you know whatever we want because it doesn't really matter we're gonna win this game anyway so i mean they go for the entertainment value but i thought compared to last year this you know all-star game wasn't that great to watch um though obviously you get the entertainment value it's just i kind of like to see the best guys in the world you know the best players in the world uh, battle it out and actually, you know, defend one another. I know they they don't want to injure one another, but I mean, throw a little defense in there, just like last year. I mean, it, it showed it wasn't that hard for them to do so because they're fully capable of defending one another and not hurting one another. So, uh, overall, twenty twenty one All Star Gate, you know, All Star break was was decent. I would, uh, you know, I can't complain. Some of the uh, aspects were entertaining, some of them not so much. Uh, other than the dunk contest, really, you just got to change that dunk contest format because that's just, that ain't it, Adam Silver. That that just wasn't it at all. Let's get into, a, you know, Mellow and, uh, I'll throw in it, La Mellow. Because I, I was going to say Mellow versus Mellow, but I know a lot of you old heads, a lot of you people get pretty pissed off when people call La Mellow Mellow. And this has been an ongoing thing where a lot of people are have been getting frustrated with people calling... Lamelo Mello for some reason and saying that you know him throwing up the three fingers to the head is he has to get his own thing we saw the Warriors <laughs> commentator get you know super salty saying get your own thing when who the who the hell is that guy like <laughs> that guy's just a bum who's all pissed off that Lamelo that, that they didn't pick Lamelo up and they got James Wiseman and this guy is beating their rookie in points rebounds assists steals everything and ima- everything imaginable and we saw their first matchup. Uh, the Blazers won, 123-111. Both Mellows had an, an incredible stat line, very similar stat lines. Uh, Carmelo, had, in 32 minutes, had 29 points, shot 10 of 19 from the field, 6 of 10 from the three-point line, three rebounds, two assists. Lamelo in 32 minutes of play, scored 30 points, shot 10 of 18, 5 of 7 from three, six rebounds, eight assists. After the game, Carmelo was asked about LaMelo. You know, they bra- they embraced each other. They did a jersey swap, a great picture. Uh, as you'll see the uh, you know, on Instagram, it's the, you know, the, the photo for this episode because it's such a classic picture, I think. Um, he was asked a lot of questions about Melo, what he thought about Melo's game, what he thought about people calling, you know, LaMelo Melo, and his celebration when he makes a three. And, you know, Carmelo, as casually as can be, just basically let the media know, I don't give a shit. You know, as plain as he could say it. Uh, Why would he care about a name, about a celebration on a three-pointer? You know, he doesn't do it the same as, you know, Melo. Uh, And it just seems to me like a big, I don't know if it's people don't like LaMelo Ball. 
and don't want to embrace the younger generation coming up and replacing the older generation, uh, which is a thing that we commonly see. Uh, a lot of people, instead of celebrating greatness, they kind of want to live in the past and not have, you know, you can grow up and you can watch these guys, you can idolize guys, you can really uh, admire watching players, but in, in not embracing the younger generation and allowing these nicknames to happen or people to, you know, express their th- their thoughts on how good a, you know, a new player can be, to me, just seems a little, I don't know if it's selfish or if it's just je- you know uh, not it's obviously not jealousy because you're not someone they're not people that are in the NBA uh if it's they just become standoffish of a of a young new player some people do but for me the bigger thing is it was great to see Carmelo play like this it was great to see Carmelo play like the old you know Carmelo uh he's looking great this year he's having performances like this where he's shooting the ball efficiently he's you know really adapted to uh, the position that he's at with this team, he really loves to play for Portland, as you can see with, you know, CJ being out, he really stepped up to help Dame carry this team to the position they were at with their pieces, with pieces missing. Uh, coming off the bench, he's a real, you know, energizer when he comes off the bench. He's scoring the ball, he's shooting the ball efficiently, which I love to see. And to see him embrace another young player, a guy who he shows that he has a lot of respect for, where vice versa, LaMelo has a lot of respect for Carmelo. Uh, it's just a really, really great thing to see when two players, you know, a guy who's in his late 30s to a guy who's my age, you know, even, you know, 2021, 20, even younger than me, on it, you know, LaMelo's younger than me. And just to see the older generation embrace the newer generation and just come together and, you know, say, this kid's going to be a problem. I I love this kid's game. I love the way he plays. To me, it's a great sign. You know, the Dwayne Wades, the Chris Pauls, the LeBrons, the Carmelos, the Kobe's, those guys, they did a great job of embracing the generation and the players that come after them. They make sure to give them their flowers early on in their career. Uh, You know, because the media will try and, twist and turn things to see if uh you know a lebron doesn't you know if he doesn't respect a single uh, one aspect of a young player's game or if they say one thing they try and twist it into another thing uh it was just great to see carmelo give his blessing on the whole mellow thing just basically saying he doesn't care it's not that big of a deal um and to see the jersey swap was really was really great to me and uh this was a great game to watch just uh, seeing these guys go back and forth after making shots, answering one, one another, having super similar stat lines. LaMelo obviously getting it by one point. Uh, and to see where LaMelo's game is coming along to where he's shooting 5 of 7 from the three-point line on a more consistent basis. Um, and I definitely think for my generation, we have our new Mello. We have our Mello that we're going to grow with. Like the previous generation, you know, the, the guys who were the same age as Carmelo – had their mellow growing up, we have ours now. The 20 to 21-year-olds, we have, you know, eight, the 18 to 21-year-olds. We have our, you know, mellow to watch until he gets to the point Carmelo's at. So, for me, it was fantastic to see the, you know, the confidence in both players, uh, the level of respect, how they embraced one another after the game, during the game. Um, overall, it was just uh, something fantastic to see something I obviously expected because they're both very respectable people. Uh, you know, Mello embraces, you know, and respects his elders 
and Mello, you know, respects, you know, the younger generation that's coming in to fill the shoes and, you know, to, you know, replace what he did that because he did so much for the league and everybody knows that. And Mello and guys like in his draft class and a draft class ahead of him and behind him are just trying to come in and continue making the league as good as it is and fill the shoes of the all-time greats that will be shortly leaving. And, you know, it's sad as it is to see guys like Carmelo and LeBron and, Dwayne, you know, Dwayne Wade's gone, but Chris Paul leaving soon. I think the future is very bright with the set of guys that we have right now in the league. And I don't think we're going to have to worry about seeing any great basketball anytime soon, guys. So give LaMelo his flowers. It's fine to call him Melo. I'm going to call him Melo because that's what I've been calling him since, you know, watching him in high school. It's not that big a deal, guys. Just got to get over it, old heads. Melo is Melo, too. Next is a surprising topic because it definitely wasn't something I was expecting to uh, read, talk about, or, <coughs> excuse me, something I would just in general expect to see pop up, something that would come to life, and that is Kawhi Leonard plans to go to the summer's Tokyo Olympics to play for Team USA, which is obviously captained by Kevin Durant but coached by Greg Popovich. You know, Kawhi Leonard was quoted to say, right now my plan is to go. It doesn't really matter on the success that we have. If I feel up to it and feel ready to go around that time, then I'm going to play. The only question is, is we see the playoffs are scheduled to end July 22nd, and the Olympics men's basketball tournament is scheduled to run from the 23rd to the 7th of August. Uh, their plen- pl- uh, pl- <laughs> preliminary round plays... July 25th against France. But always what we've seen in the past is that they need to have a 12-man roster weeks before the tournament. So I, doesn't, I don't know if it's he can confirm a couple weeks before and then play you know, the day after, how that's going to work if they win the championship, um, how other guys are going to play. I know the USA you know, basketball sent invitations to around 60 players that were interested in playing. Uh, both Leonard, you know, Leonard did express interest in playing with Team USA, uh, and he was uh, announced as a finalist for 2020. Uh, you know, obviously the pandemic happened, so that didn't occur. Uh, the most interesting thing to me, obviously, is seeing is the playing for his old coach in San Antonio. Now, will that be a problem for Kawhi Leonard? I don't think so, and I don't think it'll be a problem for Greg Popovich either. They're both two of the most professional people in the league. You know, you're playing for a bigger reason. You're playing, you know, you're not playing for yourselves. You're playing for your country. You're there to represent your country. The, you know, little side beefs, I really don't, or whatever their relationship may be now, I don't really think is going to impact, you know, what these guys do, how, you know, how they play, how they play together, or it would impact if Kawhi Leonard would play for the team if it is a Greg Popovich, which it obviously is. Um, it definitely shocked me at first because I didn't expect Kawhi Leonard to be a guy that plays for, you know, the the Olympic team. And uh, for me, I am a little, you know, while I don't think there will be a problem, I was a little weirded out. Maybe I would think, okay, maybe if Popovich wasn't the coach for 2024, uh, he would go. 
because I don't know how that relationship is be- is between them. As much as I just I just said I don't think it would be a problem, it still was surprising to me to see him want to play for a team that is coached by Greg Popovich. Because uh, it's you know things in San Antonio. As a Spur fan, I know everything that happened. You know a lot of things went bad. The you know it went bad very very quickly with coaches. You know coaches, players calling out Kawhi, saying they don't know what's wrong with Kawhi. He's not you know. Uh, his injury isn't as bad as other injuries, blah, blah, blah. Uh, for me, it's definitely interesting to see him be interested in, in playing for the Olympic team. Uh, I, I'm very curious how it will play out if they make it deep into the playoffs. If he feels like, okay, after a long season, am I ready to go back in and play a week later, a uh, day later, whenever they're, you know, uh, whenever they're finished their playoff, and you know, whenever he happens to be finished in the playoffs. Uh I don't know if he will feel ready a day after the, if they win the finals because uh, the, the, the playoffs is a very grueling, grueling process to where you don't know what can happen, how long series can go on for, how long you will happen to be playing for, what injuries you may run into during it. Uh, so the question is, will he, he, will he have to confirm weeks beforehand and then if he gets injured, will they be able to find someone to replace him at that quickly? I would assume they would be able to because there's so many. If they're sending out 60 invites, there's 60 finalists, a 12-man team. One guy goes down, I think you can immediately pick someone up and someone else is going to be like, yeah, hell yeah, I'll play and I'll represent Team USA. The only thing is I want to see, a, I want to see some stars. I want to see a couple superstars in there playing because the way we went in there and played the last time USA was you know, represented was atrocious. That that team was atrocious. We need guys like Kevin Durant, uh, you know, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, uh, you know, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Damian Lillard, those guys to get in there and just dominate the shit out of some of these, you know, countries. We need that we need that back. Uh, you know, obviously we won the gold in twenty sixteen and we need to win gold again. So for me, Kawhi Leonard, if you feel up for it, get in there because you are one of the top five players in my opinion in the entire world. So I think definitely put differences aside between you and Coach Pop. I, I, I would even assume that differences are pushed aside. It's just kind of a mutual respect kind of thing at this point. So if we see Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard in there playing, that, that would, you know, not, it would make me willing to watch even more. Him being my favorite player in the league, I would bef- definitely be tuning in even more to these games. Uh, I just want to see a more talented roster than we saw last time. I want to see guys in there that are going to make things happen. So definitely, Kawhi, go to Tokyo if you can, bro. And lastly, guys, per usual, we ended off with the who impressed, who disappointed. The five guys that impressed me over the last you know, course of the week, uh, Shea Gilger, uh, Gilgeris Alexander, uh, P.J. Washington, Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, and Draymond Green. Starting off with uh, uh, Gilgeris Alexander. Still can't pronounce that bastard's name right. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Shea. In 38 minutes, he had 42 points, shot 13 of 20 from the field, 6 of 11 from 3, 10 of 11 from the free throw line, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, uh, and a win versus the Spurs. Had an absolutely fantastic game. He just went out there and definitely performed and showed that he should have been an all you know, shown that he should have been an all-star, uh, which I definitely thought he should have been a hundred percent because of what he's done for this Thunder team, no matter how bad they may be. He's shown that he's capable of being a number one guy on his team, on a team like this. But he's elevated his game a lot. 
uh, a lot more than other people had from pre from previous years. So I felt that he definitely was deserving of an All Star uh, vote, an All Star spot, and he went out there and showed that you know everybody's sleeping on him. Uh, P.J. Washington, 42 minutes, had 42 points, 15 to 22 from the floor, 5 of 8 from 3, 7 of 7 from the free throw line, 8 rebounds and a win versus the Kings. Uh, competitive game, a game where they needed P.J. Washington the most because other people weren't you know, entirely on their game. Uh, it was great to see him get in there, get involved, because it shows that there's another guy on their team that you know Melo can get the ball to, can trust to get the ball to consistently, and can score the ball consistently. So... Uh, great game, PJ. Anytime you have a forty, you have a forty-point game. Shooting, you're only missing seven shots. When you're taking twenty-two, is impressive to me. And the the you know, the performance I was talking about earlier against the Jazz, Joel Embiid at forty points, fourteen of twenty-seven from the field, two of five from three, ten of thirteen from the three, uh, free throw line, nineteen rebounds. When you have a game and you go out and you play and you're one-on-one with people who say the best center in the league. Dropping 40 and 19, I think that's a quick statement to say, hey, listen, shut up. This guy can't guard me. This guy will never be able to guard me, never has been, never been scared of him, never will be scared of him. So Joel Embiid went out there and made a point to show that how good he's been how this season and how much how much more dominant he is than Rudy Gobert. Uh, Jimmy Butler, 35 minutes and 33 points, 12 of 22 from the field, 9 of 11 from the free throw line, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, and a win versus the Jazz. Uh, a game where Miami's recently heating up quite a bit, and they need their leader Jimmy Butler to help lead, you know, help guide them to getting into the uh, that playoff spot and to consistent and you know to stay in that playoff spot. Uh, go in there against the best uh, best team in the league record wise and get have this dominant of a performance and win the game. Highly impressive for me with Jimmy Butler, who's had on, super on and off games and a super on and off season. Uh, an, an amazing feat for Jimmy. Uh, you know, he's obviously capable of these games, but to go out there and where people, a lot of people have been calling him out this season saying that, you know, the Heat aren't good, the Heat just had a lucky year last year, he's showing them, hey, we can beat the best teams in the league, so watch your mouth when you're talking about us. Uh, Draymond Green, win versus the Hornets in 36 minutes, had 11 points, 5 of 8 from the field, 12 rebounds, 19 assists. Draymond Green go out there night in and night out and have these amazing, you know, performances in all aspects of the game just impresses me you know I, I I don't think Draymond Green is as good as a lot of people think I don't know if he you know he, he's probably a Hall of Famer uh but when he goes out there and has 11 points 12 rebounds 19 assists like what can you say about a performance like that a guy who's a six foot nine getting 19 assists in the game a uh, guy who you know he focuses more on passing the ball than scoring the ball he's it's just anytime anyone has 19 assists like, that's just insane to me. So, you know, shout out to Draymond for putting on a, quite a performance, what I thought. Uh, the five disappointed. I uh, got Jason Tatum, Pascal Siakam, Seth Curry, and the last ones combined of Kawhi and PG. Uh, Jason Tatum in a loss versus the Hawks in 32 minutes. Only had 13 points, shot 4, 20 from the field, 1 of 8 from the three-point line, 1 rebound, 1 assist. Uh, this is definitely not a performance you want to see from Jason Tatum. Uh, in a game where you're going against one of the lower-tier teams in the Eastern Conference, this is why the Celtics are struggling to win games because they can't even put away teams that they should be able to. Uh, you got J- their best player shooting 420 from the field. Like That's definitely not something that Jason Tatum is going to be expecting from himself to do moving forward, and he shouldn't be. Because when you're having the season that he's been having where you're setting career highs in points, you know your shooting percentages, 420 and 1 of 8, only 13 points. Definitely not a performance you want to see again from JT. Uh, Pascal Siakam in 24 minutes in the loss versus the Heat. Only had five points. It was one of six, one of three, two rebounds, four assists. 
could never really find his groove, never really tried to find, you know, he couldn't find his groove, didn't really try to find his groove, only putting up six shots in the entire game. Uh, obviously, you have 24 minutes, but 24 minutes, you can at least put up 12 shots. So not really sure where Pascal was going with this game. These are the type of inconsistent performances I've seen from him throughout this year. Not really sure what's going on with him this year, if it's the dip since Kawhi, but, you know, last year he had a great year. So a little confused as to what's going on with this season, what's going on with Pascal, and maybe he'll pick it up the second half of the season. So to be continued. Uh, Seth Curry in 39 minutes, a loss versus the Cavs. At four points, one of 13 from the field, one of seven from the three-point line. You know, like when I talked about why I believe the 76ers team is having so much success, obviously it's, you know, Ben Simmons is having Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, he's in the running for that. Uh, Joel Embiid's in the running for MVP. But they have guys around them now that can shoot, like Danny Green, like Seth Curry. So when they're in these close, close you know, games, they're going to be looking for those guys to be able to make threes. And for, you know, Curry to go one of 13 and one of seven, He's not doing his job, and it's quite disappointing that, you know, because if he would have had a normal performance, they probably would have won this game, in my opinion. So uh, a guy who's second all-time in three-point percentage, definitely not a, a, a shooting night you want to see from him again this season. Lastly is Kawhi and PG together in a loss versus the Bucks. 75 minutes, they were 17-42 of 42 from the field combined, 4-16. 0-9 in the last four minutes. They took all of their team's nine shots, uh, and they lost to the Bucks. A game where you want your two best players to come in and seal this game out, where they definitely had their chance to. Uh, you know, we've seen Paul George shrinking late in games. We've seen Kawhi, sh- uh, you know, shrink like, but not both of them at the same time. Last time we, you know, we saw that in the Denver Nuggets series uh, against teams of the high caliber that the Milwaukee Bucks are. It's definitely not something you want to see from your two best players and. Maybe if they're not really feeling their shots, maybe pass the ball around to a couple other guys like Lou Williams to, uh, you know, Luke Kennard, Serge Ibaka, whoever's in the game with you, Morris. Just get the ball to them. Uh, give yourself easier shots, more open shots, drive to the basket. That's definitely not what they were doing. They were just trying to force up shots in order to help, their, you know, to get their team a win like we saw in that Nuggets series. I don't think we'll ever, we'll, not ever, I don't think we'll see this again or on a consistent basis again. Well, hopefully not for the L.A. Clippers, but... Uh, definitely, I think they'll bounce back from this outing because they, they need to. They need to show that, okay, we're not going to go back to the old uh, Denver Nuggets blown series moments. But that's all I have for you guys today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, tune in. You can tune in on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast. Uh, follow our uh, Instagram page at Mainly Basketball. Uh, follow our Twitter page at Mainly Pod. Like us on Facebook. Uh, let us know what you want us to talk about, who you want us to talk to, and you know what we may have missed that you wanted to hear about, what you liked about this episode, what you didn't like about this episode. Appreciate everybody that continues to tune in. You guys are what keeps this going. So uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.